Hey, everybody, it's Trags, and this week, episode seven of the Jungle Roar podcast, I welcome in Joe Goodberry. He does a tremendous job covering the Cincinnati Bengals, all things stripes on Twitter. Follow him at uh, Joe Goodberry. I got all of that right, Joe? That's correct. Thank you for having me on. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, let's get right to it. The uh, surprises in your mind or the general impressions uh, in your mind of the 53-man roster, how it unfolded on Tuesday afternoon at four o'clock. Yeah, I think it made a lot of sense. You know, uh, there weren't too many surprises in the past two years. I think when you look at Zach Taylor and how he came in and had to make sweeping changes from the top, I think this year's roster was more of the Let's get the bottom half correct. Let's get, mm-hmm. you know, we don't need to push out old veterans. We don't have to push out the old guard. We need to make sure the depth is correct. I think it, it laid out pretty uh, accurate to how you would, you know, put this roster together in terms of talent and, and without looking at draft status or who was, you know, pr- with the previous regime or brought in how they were brought in. So I think it was probably the most fair uh, and balanced way you can come to a 53. And of course, they bring back Mike Thomas today, put Kelly Kareem on IR to, to, to finish that off. You know, the 53 is a, is a fluid situation, but overall, you know, it is what it is. And I think the big move, I think, uh, was the Billy Price trade for B.J. Hill. I mean, because it, looking at it, you're like, okay, at least they have a solid backup offensive lineman that has played in this league, that has a former first-round pick, and I didn't feel as good about their defensive interior unit having backups. And then you kind of make that swap, and it's almost, okay, we're back at – no depth on the offensive line, but I feel much better about the defensive tackles. So um, I think uh, one thing that stuck out to me was the youth of the reserves on the offensive line. And what I saw from the starters on Sunday and what I've seen through camp is that I think that offensive line is coming together. There's going to be a lot of question marks regarding the right guard position, but four of the five spots on the offensive line I'm happy with uh, based on what I've seen. Jonah Williams and Riley Reef on on either side for the tackles. Uh, I think Quentin Spain is an underrated people mover, and we saw that last year. He's massive. I think he's very, very effective in the run game. He's the left guard. Trey Hopkins is a reliable center, and I think that's going to be important for him to stay healthy, that he comes back from his ACL just as well as Joe Burrow comes back from his. And there's a lot more pressure on him, right? You know, on that knee. Uh, protecting people uh, in the middle of the trenches. It's the right guard that I think, you know, is Xavier Sulafilo going to be able to get it done and stay in there and maintain that starting job? Yeah, and he's been an inconsistent player throughout his career, even though he was a, a former very premium pick, 33rd overall pick, I believe, from, by the Texans. Uh, he's been up and down, even with the Cowboys that, that final year before the Bengals signed him. They only got a few games out of him last year before he went on IR. I don't know. I don't know which guy he can be. Is it the guy that, you know, was a high pick that can move and is a big guy, but never really put it together consistently? I think that's going to lead to maybe somebody else. And I guess the hope is that it's Jackson Carmen. I mean, maybe we're two, three, four weeks away, six weeks away. But the, the idea is that Carmen gets comfortable enough in on the inside, on the right side, that he becomes the right guard. And then if he's playing well, I think you like this offensive line much more. The fact that he's not starting right, right away gives me the concern of, okay, he's not ready. That's fine. You know, it, there is a transition there, but you're, but you're right. I look at the interior offensive line, and there's enough question marks. Even though Quentin Spain may be underrated, I don't think he's moved as well this year that, that he has in the past. Uh, I think he looks a little tight, a little stiff. I mean, uh, Deontay Smith had looked really well at left guard in preseason. So maybe there is more uh, competition there than we know. 
Well, I, I think it's fair that you make that observation about Quentin Spain, but I think, again, they're going to go with the veterans in the room before they throw rookies in there because I think they learned their lesson with Michael Jordan, who uh, got cut. a couple of quick thoughts uh, from you, Joe, speaking with Joe Goodberry, uh, covering the Bengals on Twitter. You can follow him at Joe Goodberry. Uh, your thoughts on the cut of Michael Jordan. Um, he just didn't play consistently in camp. He didn't play consistently in the preseason. Yeah, he, he was who he was throughout his career at Ohio State and with the Bengals. I mean, he was always a very inconsistent guy, even though he had the size, the length, the athleticism you'd want, the demeanor in, in a lot of ways. I thought he played very tough in a lot of situations, a lot of games. And I think the way he rebounded from last year's block that ultimately hurt Joe Burrow was right. a sign of mental toughness and a guy that can stay in this league for a long time. I'm not surprised he was claimed uh, because of, because of the, the, the things you can't always teach, uh, you know, offensive linemen. But the consistency has always been an issue for him. Uh, putting it together for a full drive, a full game, a full stretch of games to a season, it's not there for him. I don't know if he's going to be able to find that. That's his task, and maybe he can still be a player in this league. So with Jackson Carmen, um, I know that you know there's some concern that he didn't develop right away in camp. But I, from what I saw, uh, his footwork improved drastically from week one of training camp to week one of the preseason to the end of preseason drastically. I mean, this is a guy that was having trouble keeping his feet under him. He was falling forward. He was getting dragged down all over the place. That was not the case toward the end of preseason. And I think, you know, that's why Zach Taylor went out of his way after the game on Sunday to really uh, laud his efforts to improve uh, in all aspects of the game. And that's why I think the Bengals envision him, I think, to your point, uh, supplanting Xavier Sulafilo at that guard spot. I like that you mentioned the footwork because I don't see it at camp. So for me, game one, I was like, okay, he's got things to work on. He's jump setting. He's going getting out there quick and get off panelist. And then by week three of the preseason, I said, okay, he looks like he's on the right track and he's getting better in that situation. Uh, so I'm with you. If that if that's also the case for the camp, then great. He, that sounds like that's the right track. And uh, I'm sure that gets him a little bit excited. It looks like he's in better shape, too, by week three. It does. He's lost about 10 to 15 pounds, I'd say, just from the naked eye. But, look, he's got tremendous upper body strength and what he was able to do at Clemson, uh, protecting one of the great quarterbacks in the game. Uh, He doesn't get on the field at Clemson if he doesn't have some skills and some strength that make him a legitimate uh, protector in the middle of the line. You know, I mentioned Michael Jordan's inconsistency. I thought that was the case with uh, Jackson Carmen at Clemson also. So if you can find that in the NFL, and that's usually the case for a lot of guys coming out, is you have some talent, we're going to take you a little bit higher, and then you've got to figure out how to be a professional. So that's Carmen's task, and hopefully he's answering that call now. Yeah, it is. Uh, it'll be very interesting. I do think Deontay Smith will be the first swing guard off the off the bench if something happens uh with either uh quentin spain or uh xsf uh you know i i would think that the the way they have seen development and the versatility from uh deontay smith they like him a lot he was obviously a tackle in college they like the way he has moved inside his versatility and his athleticism yeah i agree with that completely i think he's more trustworthy right now they had to play him at both guard spots left tackle and preseason also i think he answered the call wherever they needed him and i think there's a level of at least okay we know what he's going to provide i still don't know what his upside is as a long-term starter if he can get to that but at the very least if he can come off the bench as maybe even the sixth guy you know maybe not this year but even in the future at tackle also uh that's that has a lot of value all right everybody in the world including yourself 
watched Jamar Chase and uh, has been watching Jamar Chase over the last two preseason games. Joe Burrow throws him a pass right in the hands at his face mask. It wasn't right in his numbers, but still uh, obviously very catchable ball. And to me, from the naked eye, and I was there in the press box, it looked like for all the world on that wide receiver, wide receiver screen, he was looking to move up the field and his you can tell the body clock was way too fast. He's got to slow down as it, and as Dave Lappin, Lapham pointed out on his podcast uh, this week, he's got to look the ball into the uh, body more carefully, focus just what rookies do. And he's got to work on that if he's going to be a reliable target for Burrow. Yeah, he's adjusting to the speed of the game. I think definitely being out for that last year, um, coming in and even that screen pass, the ball's a little late and a little floating. So I'm like, I think he starts speeding up internally yes. that I got to grab this and make a cut up field because my Correct. blockers are now out of position. So everything's sped up for him. But this is, you know, coming off the back of that, that Washington game, drops three balls to him all over the middle, all looking like he may take a hit on any of those. Uh, and it makes me wonder, like, OK, he might need to get tackled a couple times to feel comfortable with the speed, feel comfortable with getting hit and feel comfortable taking in the, those contested grabs. I have a small level of concern with it, but overall, you still go back to the evaluation. I mean, he got as many balls as he did, or as many yards as he did in that magical year with, with Joe Burrow, there's much more tape, there's much more substance in that season than there is in seven targets in preseason to make me go, okay, this is who he is now. I'm not changing who I believe he is. I think he's going to be a number, number one receiver in this league. Maybe that's not right now, but you know what? The Bengals are in position to be okay with that because you have Higgins and Boyd. You don't have to feed him to great point this, this this week one. Maybe he's not ready till week five. That is okay because you have Auden Tate as well. They have enough guys to slowly bring him in and get him up to speed. I don't, yeah, and I don't buy the argument that they have concern at the wide receiver position in terms of depth. I think they have plenty there. I'm more concerned about their offensive line being consistent. There, there's some days where the offense or some plays where the offensive line looks great in the run game like it did on Sunday and other days where it doesn't. It doesn't move people off the ball and they've got to be more consistent on the offensive line. To your point about Jamar Chase, I spoke with Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator, and and I was joking with him. I said, you know, they said the same thing about Jerry Rice in the drops early in his career and he had a terrible time. People forget this in his uh, first year with the 49ers he couldn't catch anything I'm, I'm not talking just one or two weeks it was half the, almost half the season where he was just dropping these passes inexplicably and so great players even great players go through the mental part of adjusting to the nfl and modern analytics will tell you that drops are an inconsistent stat. They don't carry over year to year. They don't carry over through stretches of games. A guy can go through a, a handful of months where he's dropping four balls in that month, and then he won't drop another pass for the next year and a half. And it, it's a very inconsistent stat. We look at Mohamed Sanu of, I think it was 2014, had 13 drops or 14 drops. He never had an issue with his hands afterwards. It was just a situation in a year. He had a funk. He dropped a few balls. And that was it. He always had great hands. I mean, it happens. You just, you know what it is? You want to see the big play that, that sparks it and, and, and makes you forget about the drops. You can have drops in this, this league. It's not as bad as giving up a sack. It's not as bad as a fumble. Of the miscues on offense, a drop is the least of your worries because the next pass can be a 15-yard play. It can be a, right. You don't want to do a third down, obviously, leads to a punt. But the next play can be a big play that completely erases it and forgets about it. It doesn't set your offense back. 
unless it's on third down. So you want the big play to offset the drops because that is worth two times as much as, as a drop pass. So I think that's what we're waiting for. Yeah, I mean, you're talking to somebody who covered a couple of Super Bowls in New England and uh, more than a few. And, you know, it's the drops are to me more about when they happen as opposed yeah. to the number of times they happen. And, you know, everybody remembers Super Bowl 46 and Wes Welker and whether mm-hmm. or not that was a, a, a real drop or not. I mean, Tom Brady has been victimized by drops in the Super Bowl before. And, you know, those are the, it's the big moments in a game when the drops matter to your point. And I'm, I'm still convinced that Jamar chase is going to make some big plays at big moments for the Bengals when they need him. He's been great on the, on sideline patterns. He's been great outside the numbers in practice. And I think it's just a matter of getting him reps. I want to move on to the defense speaking with Joe Goodberry and the turnover, you know, off uh, camera, We talked, Joe, about the turnover on defense and how significant it will be. And I think that's going to mean a more aggressive Lou Anarumo defense. How about you? He better be more aggressive. I mean, he's he's got three years now of turning this defense into his image, I'm assuming it is, because I'm – First two years, very confused on what he wanted on defense. You know, what kind of defense do you want to run? Is this a, a mixed 3-4-3 three, four, four, three type unit? Are you a zone defense? Are you, do you want to run some fire zone blitz? What is the goal here? You've got good players that you weren't using to their strengths. Those guys are off the roster now. You've brought in your own guys. I mean, there's complete turnover at this point on the defensive line, linebackers, and the secondary. So you kind of wonder if this is who he wants, then we need to see for the first time maybe – his full vision on offense. And I do, I mean, on defense. And if I do think that means the way it's built, the way the player's strengths and weaknesses are, it looks like they want to be a zone defense that'll give you some blitzes and different looks out of a, out of a mixed uh, front seven. And I think that works in today's NFL. What is, what is defense today's NFL anyway? It's kind of a bend, but don't break, make one play, a turnover, a sack, a red zone stop that leads to a field goal, and your offense has to put up 30 points. You're a supplement to the offense just trying to stop that other team. you got to eventually face the Chiefs or, or, or the Bills or even the Ravens and Browns lately, and you just need one or two stops that entire game, and that's enough to set up your offense to, to win the game for you. So I'm concerned overall. Like, how can they be a – can they be a good defense that actually matters – I don't think they're there yet. I, everyone wants to compare to like, well, they're better than last year because of this, this, and that. Maybe, but it was a bad defense last year. It was a bad defense for the last two years. I think you go and compare it to the good defense of maybe like 2015. Do they have impact players, enough of them? I think they have Jesse Bates as an impact player. But do they have uh, a Dunlap in his prime? Do they have a Geno Atkins in their prime? Do they have a Vontas Perfect in their prime? They do not. And that's where the front seven to me, I think if you need a guy to win one-on-one and make a play for this defense – you're looking at Trey Hendrickson now, and and that's it. And he really really wasn't that guy for the Saints. He's a no. complimentary pass rusher that'll give you energy, give you some athleticism. But I think when they lost Joseph Osai, you lost that other edge guy that's really going to help funnel some of that pressure to each other back and forth. In my opinion, a good pass rush needs three guys in order to really make it work. One guy will push the pocket. You need this, a guy inside and a guy in the, on the edge to really corral that and turn that into sex. If not, I don't think they have the corners that can cover man-to-man and hold up for too long. So it's an odd mix because the pass rush really took a hit this offseason. So here is my take on all of what you just said. 
I like Larry Ogunjobi a lot from what I've seen in the preseason. I think he, I think Ogunjobi can be definitely be that disruptor up front. Uh, he can push the pocket. Um, I certainly like uh, DJ Reader if he stays healthy as mm-hmm. uh, that two gap tackle who can also help stop the run. Uh, and that if you get those two on the field, let's say. I don't know. I'm going to throw out a number. 60% of the snaps, 60 to 65% of the snaps, they can stay out there. Um, I think you can see Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson together having big seasons. Um, The depth concerns me on the edge with the loss Mm -hmm. of um, Khalid Kareem, obviously, uh, today, but also um, Joseph Asai earlier in camp. The depth concerns me. I don't know if Wyatt Ray is going to make a difference. He was on waivers for a reason. Right, right, Joe. I mean that he can be. I covered him at Boston College. Uh, again, on a very good defense at Boston College, uh, he was a playmaker. But that's because he had other players around him. He was on a pretty good defense in Tennessee with some uh, pass rushers. Can he uh, do the same for the Bengals? Right, and he's probably in a similar situation to Darius Hodge. Basically, and, you know, you got yep. two of similar guys where you've got maybe undersized speed rushers from the edge, and maybe you just corral their um, roll into just that. We need a nickel edge rusher that can come in and run around the arc. And at, right now, I would assume Hodge is above him and going to play week one. And, and just until, the number you know, of reps he's had with the unit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been Joseph Asai's role. And I think that's now going to go to Hodge. And we got to see him find can he go to that next level up now and, and do it against starters for a full game? Because I think he's in line to, you know, if the Vikings in week one are throwing the ball a lot, if it's a situation where that's the type of game they're in where it's a, a type of shootout. I think Hodge could see 30 snaps out there and he, he needs to be ready for it. Because if not, I do think they lack that other athlete on the edge to really compliment Hendrickson. And uh, for me, I think Ogun Joby, I do like him as well. And and the Bengals liked him when he was coming out that year. Marvin Lewis liked him in that draft. The, the Browns ended up getting him and he had to play five tech, three tech, one tech for them. It was all over the place. But really, it, it, it was almost a, a, them trying to find out what he was good at because he was so inconsistent. I mean, there's times he would just lose the ball carrier, his vision, he'd break through, not really know where the ball is or what's going on, or he'd lose it when he's trying to two gap and, and, and keep his eye on, uh, you know, in the backfield. I just think he's an inconsistent player. If they can find the consistency with him, I do think he can be a good, a good player. The flashes are good. I wouldn't be surprised if BJ Hill is right behind him though. I think the tape of the last three years, Hill is more consistent as explosive and can be a playmaker uh, in a similar vein, May, not to the point of where he's a dominant player, but in the point of uh, the Bengals run a lot of three, four defense right now. It's Josh Tupelo at the five tech Ogan Joby at three tech and DJ reader at the one at nose. Maybe you could see BJ Hill break in a little bit there. Maybe they say, Sam Hubbard, we're going to, instead of kicking you inside a nickel, we're going to let you rush that from the edge more than you have in your career. And we're going to use a defensive tackle instead of three defensive ends. So it could be BJ Hill in that role. It could be Larry Ogunjobi in that role. But I, I'm looking to see what that rotation is in week one. Read the tea leaves a little bit, Joe. And going into the offseason last year, everybody assumed the Bengals would be having would have all of their cards in the offensive group, right? Uh, in terms of making transactions, rebuilding the offense, rebuilding the offensive line uh, in particular. But the la- even the latest trade to me indicates uh, their priority on rebuilding what the dynamic is going to be on defense and what their personality, to your point, what does um, Lou Anarumo want his defense to be? They acquire another guy... At- 
I think an underrated move by by the Bengals to trade away a former first round pick in Billy Price and get um, another defensive tackle. I, I think it's a, a highly underrated move, and I think it shows that the Bengals really do want to rotate in bodies on defense and not have their defense get tired. If it wasn't a cut down day, we would have spent a lot more time talking about that move, uh, not only from a roster standpoint, but a organizational standpoint. They've let guys go recently without getting anything in return uh, from their star players, A.J. Green, Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunham. You get a, you get a pick that doesn't even you know turn into anything. Uh, Andy Dalton, uh, then the first rounders, the former first rounders. John Ross couldn't have been traded for anything at one point uh, to get something from Billy Price to recognize it, do it. And then, in my opinion, you got a better player than right. Billy Price. Billy Hill is the better player and can actually help you. And in an ideal, Billy Price never sees the field this year because Trey Hopkins is healthy and the guards are, you know, the, the guys you drafted are developing and they're your starters. And B.J. Hill, I think, will actually play. So from an organizational standpoint, the way they the, the go about letting guys go and acquiring talent, I'm happy with that move. I would have more to come. Yeah, I, I think the Bengals made a good move there. I think that uh, this team has depth on the roster that it certainly hasn't had in the last two seasons. And I think more to the point, the depth that they have, the coaching staff is more familiar with as opposed to trying to integrate players from the Marvin uh, regime. Something that Zach Taylor said, and I want to touch on this before I let you go, Joe. He loves the intelligence of the roster. That's what he said. Uh, in his press conference at, uh, just after the 4 o'clock deadline on Tuesday. When he says that, what do you take from those words that he loves the intelligence of the roster, and do you see the same thing? Well, I think it starts from their draft classes of the last three years. They put an emphasis on captains and characters and, and guys that were leaders on their teams, and I think that's an important aspect, not only to change the culture of the locker room or, or overhaul it, but there were times, you know, talking to some players and talking to the, in the last couple of years where they were on checks and, and what they should do on defense guys like that aren't here anymore. Preston Brown, Nick Vigil, um, almost begging for things to be simplified or more defined and clear for them. And I believe Jesse Bates had to take over the role of, all right, I'm going to step up and be the leader of this defense and served him well. I think that's when he started playing well halfway through two years ago. And, you know, for me, I think, they put an emphasis on overhauling that and getting the right guys in Logan Wilson, Keen Davis, Gaver, Gaither, Jermaine Pratt, I think has taken another step. Uh, so, and getting Vaughn Bell in here, another captain type leader type of guy that was a captain at Ohio State. I mean, they've done what they've needed in, in terms of we want to be able to be more dynamic. We want to be more multiple on defense. We can't do it if the guys can't handle it. And they've made that effort. So I can see it in the draft classes. I always felt this was the direction they were going. And that's fine with me. If it works out, you can, we'll probably point to this and point to a, a successful locker room and say, look at the type of characters they brought in. Look at the type of, of leaders they have brought in over the last three years. Well, clearly I think Zach Taylor is also saying when he loves the intelligence of the roster, he wants players, like you said, who are accountable, but who will make the right calls themselves on the field. The coaches can't hold their hands mm -hmm. on the field. I mean, they certainly they call the plays and they want to put the players in the best position. But ultimately, ultimately, it comes to making the right adjustments on the field when the play is happening. Read, react, all of that. And I think we'll see that on both sides, offense and defense. I mean, it's it looks like, and for there were times last year, it'll be Joe Burrow's offense. They'll call the play. You go up there, you have free running to change what you need to change. Yep. You can do what you want. And 
they want that. They want to absorb the personality of their quarterback. And if you've got the right guy, like a Joe Burrow, if he is who we, who we think he is, that's great. And I think on defense, they're looking for that with Jesse Bates and now who, which linebacker steps up. They're expecting it to be Logan Wilson. I'm excited for Logan Wilson. I, I want to see what he is in year two. These line, the linebacker unit as a whole is a big unknown, man. If you ask anybody yes. outside of Cincinnati, who are the Bengals linebackers, they'd probably be like, I don't have no idea. Perfect's still there. They would have no idea. And so I think there's a, there's a, there's a call there to be answered, and I'm, I'm hoping it's Logan Wilson. I want to see how they, how they do that. Is it Wilson and Evans in the nickel package? How much can Jermaine Pratt, how much has he developed? Is there a role for Akeem Davis Gaither? That was a Swiss Army knife in college. You, I think you could do more with him. And, and so I'm really excited to see how that works out. I mean, Jermaine Pratt is one of their better tacklers going forward, meaning uh, when he's moving forward, especially in mm-hmm. the run game. But the past, one of my concerns watching this defense is who is going to cover backs and tight ends coming out of the flat and in intermediate routes. I think the Bengals are still going to have trouble with that, at least at the start of the season until unless, you know, they show something early in the season we haven't seen in the preseason, which, of course, is certainly possible. But the linebackers and pass coverage still concern me, still concerns me. Yeah, and it, I, it would be a concern for me. Tight ends, running backs are just – if you're going to play a zone and your pass rush isn't going to get there, you may eventually get dinked and dunked down the field with running backs and tight ends. You know, the, the way the Steelers used to beat them for years, I feel like they would drop back into coverage, say, all right, you're not going to beat us deep, and Big Ben would buy extra time, just dump it off to some no-name running back that would kill the Bengals every week. And I think yeah. that could be the formula again. And I wonder if we didn't, didn't get to see Ricardo Allen because of, uh, he was injured most of this camp in uh, preseason – is there a role there? I mean, this guy has played a lot in this league. Could they play more three safety type defense? And maybe it's Von Bell that comes up and covers. And maybe, or maybe it's Ricardo Allen. He's done some nickel stuff in the past. Uh, maybe it's Mike Hilton in a base defense. Maybe it ends up being less linebackers on the field, another DB, and they get a little creative that way. Yeah, uh, certainly could see big, big nickel. You could see big dime to your point about having three, maybe, well, three safeties on the field at once would not uh, surprise me. We're going to wrap up, and I'm going to get your impressions of Joe Burrow, what you think the realistic expectations are going into week one against Minnesota. I asked this because uh, Carson Palmer in 2006 actually had a very good year. He had a shoulder injury toward the end. He had you know elbow issues and whatnot, but he came back off the ACL very strong. Tom Brady in 09 and 10 after the 2008 ACL tear had two of his statistically best seasons I think the potential is there Joe Goodberry for um, Burrow Joe Burrow to have a very impressive statistical season I agree and I think he has to if they want to be good I, I don't think this is a good team if he's not a very good quarterback if their passing offense isn't a very good unit this year uh, then they're going to struggle again and we're going to see turnover at, probably at the highest level in this in this team so I think when you look at the history of second-year quarterbacks, it favors the, the quarterbacks that, as long as you're not terrible, you usually have a good jump that second season. And I'm, I'm talking look back the last six years or so, it's really like Dwayne Haskins and a bunch of guys like that that really, you know by year two, do I have the guy or not? And if you do, you're competing for at least 500. And that's with terrible coaches and terrible rosters. I'm going back looking at Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota's year two season, looking at Mike Malarkey and uh, – Oh, I'm forgetting the name of the of the guy they, they fired in, in Tampa. But it, the point is that you should expect a year two jump. Now, we're talking about the injury and the unknown with Burrow. If he wasn't injured, we'd be 
this team's 11 and five. I think hype would be through the roof with this in from a national level. It's that unknown. And and we don't know because we didn't get to see the preseason. We didn't get that Chris Palmer game against the Packers. The Green Bay Packers. Yes. Right. So we get kind of a dog and pony show where they put them out there for the home fans and then pull them out there after three plays, no matter what happens, he gets one screen pass. So we just don't have, you know, you guys have seen him in camp, but we, you know, from the outside, we're like, I really don't know what to do. How are they going to support him week one? Is it a run game? Are they going to protect him? Are they going to hide him? Or are they going to let him go out there and they say, you know what, it's it's real time to go now. Here's this five wide. We're going to go empty when we need to. We're going to let mix and run some routes from the outside, and it's Joe Rose offering from the get-go. That gets me excited. That makes me think that he's healthy and that they're ready to go. And I believe Joe Burrow will be a good quarterback this year. And if he is, this team is competing in every single game. And I think that puts him in position to at least go 500, maybe win nine, ten games. Well, and I think one other thing, Joe, they have to get off to a good start. The the front end of the schedule favors them, especially the first month, you know, where they have Minnesota at home, then they have the Bears and Steelers on the road. Look, I mean, those two defenses have traditionally been very good. Actually, the defenses of the first three teams that they're facing are very good and have been in recent years, but I think all three of them have holes and I think the Bengals can win those three games and they have to beat Jacksonville. I don't care if it's Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer coming, coming here uh, in the jungle. They have to win that game against Jacksonville. They're three and one, four and zero to start the, the month of September. The perspective on this team changes drastically. It does indeed. And I think for that to happen, we're looking at this Joe Burrow getting off to a hot start. The receivers getting off to a hot start. I think it's really going to come down to this offense and, and how today's NFL is built. But, uh, you know, how good is Burrow right away? How good can the offensive line protect? Frank Pollock, new coach, brought in largely the same guys other than Riley Reef. You've got to be able to get better, uh, a better floor out of that unit. And I think they will. And I think that will make the difference. They don't have to be a top 10 line. They just need to be like 18th in the league. And I think you'll be fine with Burrow uh, and, and his ability to extend plays, find the open guy, be as intelligent as he is and as accurate as he is. If these three receivers hit the ground running, throwing Autumn Tate as the fourth, I think they will be fine. And Mixon looks like he'll be good too. And, and I think they have depth at running back. So if the offense can score 30 a game, and the, the formula is there, the recipe is there, we're all right. Joe, it's been a uh, pleasure speaking with you, catching up on the Bengals uh, with you. You do a great job uh, on online and on Twitter, covering the Bengals, giving great insight, uh, great analytics. Uh, and is there anything uh, people can do to follow your work more closely? Just on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. And I don't do it in official capacity anymore. I'm more of just a, uh, you know, hang out and let's talk football type of situation. And and. and we can talk about any team, any player, and anything, and I'm down for a conversation. That is awesome. You're also a great gamer, aren't you? You're a big gamer fan. Yeah, I, I have a lot of interest, so you'll get a lot of different things in my Twitter feed. Very good. Joe, I really appreciate your time. I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode, episode number seven of the Jungle Roar podcast. Thank our terrific guest, Joe Goodberry. You can follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. For Joe, I'm Mike Petralia. Keep that jungle roar.